wisdom. We talked about Jesus growing in stature. And instead of dividing the last two, we're going to combine them. That Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and men. He grew in favor with God men. He grew spiritually and he grew socially. And men and women, they go together. They go together. If we belong to Jesus Christ, our relationship with God and our relationship with people go together. They go together. What I'd like to do is to talk about just briefly, real briefly, by way of introduction, uh, kind of what basic spiritual growth is. And then I'd like to talk about this word favor. If you've watched any TV preacher lately or heard something on the radio, you've heard about favor. 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 The year of God's favor. So we're going to talk about favor just for a minute. And then we're going to talk a little bit about one aspect of spiritual growth based on 1 John chapter 1. One aspect of spiritual growth that I think if we neglect, we won't grow. If we neglect this one area of spiritual growth, we won't grow. So let's talk about basic spiritual growth first. In Acts chapter 2, verses 40 through 42, it says, And with many other words he testified, that's Peter preaching, and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them, or added to the first church. There were 3,000 souls that came to know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord based on Peter preaching during the day of Pentecost. He preaches, and here are the aspects of spiritual growth. They continued, those 3,000 that received Jesus Christ, in four things. The apostles' doctrine, fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayers. Those are four aspects of spiritual growth, just basic spiritual growth. If you want to grow spiritually, if you want to continue to increase in favor with God then there are some spiritual disciplines that need to be involved and need to be in your life that you do on a regular basis. The Apostles' Doctrine, the area is Bible study. So you need to be in someone's Bible study. If it's, Wednesday, if it's not Wednesday night Bible study, you need to be in Sunday school. If it's not Sunday school, you need to be in a small group. If it's not a small group, you need to have some regular intake of God's Word where you are... Uh, hearing God's Word, you are reading God's Word, you are studying God's Word, you are memorizing God's Word, and you're meditating on God's Word. You do not grow without God's Word. First Peter chapter 2, I believe it's verse 1, says this, "...and desire the pure milk of the Word, that by it you might grow in respect to your salvation." The Word of God is like milk. The Word of God is like food. And you will never go a number of days without eating physical food. But dare I say, there are many Christians who go many days without eating spiritual food. The Word of God is like milk. You grow just like a newborn baby as you intake the Word of God. If you understand what I'm saying, say amen. Amen. Then it says, they continued steadfastly in fellowship. Fellowship. Listen. I think that other Christians get a bad rap. 
We talk about how church people have hurt us. We talk about the way church people have said something to us or they've done something to us or didn't do something that we thought they should have done for us or to us. And church people get a bad rap. We never, ever, very seldom talk about the impact that a brother or a sister in Christ has made as they have shared with us. We never talk about how, how, how much of an impact a brother has made on the life of another brother or a sister has made on, on the life of another sister or how there are some of our older saints who have become spiritual mamas to us and some of our older brothers have become spiritual fathers to us and, and how we've rubbed shoulders with folks and, and it may not have been from the pulpit, it may have been in the pew where somebody gave you a word of encouragement. And what God is saying here is basic spiritual growth is is growing in and continuing in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. I get worried about folk who badmouth the church. And I get worried about folk who don't come to church. Let us learn, uh, consider how to stimulate one another. Hebrews chapter 10 says, uh, with love and good deeds, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, which is the custom of some folk. Some folk don't come to church. Some folk are once a month folks. Some folk are, 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 are Easter and, and, and New Year's folk. Uh, you just name the days and we got to get in the habit of fellowship. And then the breaking of bread was synonymous to worship. We're going to experience Holy Communion. It is worship. Continuing in learning how to worship. We at Harvest Community Church are a community of Worshippers, learning how to give God what He is due. Because worship comes from the word worthy. He is worthy of our energy and our effort. Probably one of my favorite worship passages, you, you may not have thought is a worship verse, but it's, it's Romans chapter 12 verse, verse 1. It says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service of Presenting our bodies to God, holy and acceptable. Lord, whatever you want to do with this mouth, you do, because it's whatever comes out of my mouth, I want it to be an expression of worship. Whatever you do with these hands, I want it to be an expression of worship. Wherever these feet take me, I want them to be an expression. Lord, my body is a living sacrifice that's on the altar for you. Worship. The breaking of bread together. Worship. Holy communion. Worship. We're a family. The first church was a family. Worship. And the table, coming to the table is a family meal where we celebrate Christ. It's the sign and seal of the covenant of grace. And then lastly, prayers. My pastor used to say, I asked the Lord to give me three things. Lord, give me wisdom to go in and out amongst the people. Lord, number two, I only want to pastor one church. And number three, Lord, teach me how to pray. Prayer is the most important spiritual discipline we have. It is communicating with God. And it's not just talking. It's listening as well. It is, Lord, I want to talk to you, but you talk to me. It is this relationship going into your secret place and prayer. Getting answered prayer that nobody knows you even prayed. Having that relationship with God where you can ask Him anything. Where there is this relation, and He can speak back to your heart. 
I think that we've lost that, y'all. We've gotten so commercialized in the Christian life that we've forgotten to be on our knees. See, my grandmother, uh, she didn't have any degrees behind her name, but she sure could pray. And her prayer sure changes things. And, and, and she sure prayed Satan down and tore down barriers and walls with, with regard to her. Ain't nothing. What happens when a woman prays? A whole lot. A whole lot. These are basic spiritual disciplines. They're basic things that, that constitute spiritual growth. And I think that we need to get a handle on them. Amen or oh me? Amen. Amen. Point number two. Baker's Evangelical Dictionary of Biblical Theology. I, every, every sermon, I want to challenge you with something. In the last two, we did uh, Vine's Expository Dictionary of, of New Testament Words, and this is another um, um, uh, reference book or tool that you can use to study your Bible. And I wanted to look up what this word favor was all about. Finding favor means gaining approval, acceptance, or special benefits or blessings. There is also a close association among favor, grace, and mercy, which are sometimes used to translate the same Hebrew and Greek words. The favor that human beings receive from God depends on His good pleasure. Depends on His good pleasure. He decides whether or not you have favor. As a secondary, it is often extended in response to prayer or righteous living, but that's not the foundation. It is more akin to grace than it is you working for it or based on your behavior. Those who walk, whose walk is blameless, such as Noah or Moses, receive favor and honor from the Lord. In Moses' blessing on the twelve tribes, he speaks of Joseph's, Joseph's prosperity and fruitfulness as one who enjoyed God's favor. Gabriel told Mary that she had found favor with God and would bear the Christ child. Now listen to this. When Christ was born, the angelic host announced to the shepherds that God would send peace to men on whom his favor rests. At age 12, Jesus enjoyed the favor of God and men as he grew in wisdom and stature. But get this. There's one thing that is not mentioned in the text in terms of the, the, the foundational spiritual things. And there's one thing that Jesus didn't have to deal with that we do. And it's sin. It's sin. Every point in my Christian life in which there was significant spiritual growth, the Lord Jesus put His finger... Of sin in my life. He put his finger on sin in my life. He, he, he put his finger on issues and attitudes and actions. On habits. Things that I was holding on to that created a barrier with him. No, my salvation is secure. And it is secure. I am saved by grace through faith. All dealing with your sin is, is making real in your experience what Jesus has already done. Well, what do you mean, Pastor? You don't need to get born all over again to have parents. 
My parents, my mother birthed me in 1962. But that did not mean we were always in good relationship, in good fellowship with one another. I'm sorry. My relationship with her does not change. I am her son. But fellowship does. There were some things that I did when I was a little boy that broke fellowship. There were some things that I did when, when I was a young man that broke fellowship. There were some things that I did as an adult that broke fellowship uh, with her. But my relationship was secure. I am a son of earth. In order to make that thing right, I had to do something with my sin. With regard to your relationship with God, your relationship with God is secure. Your relationship with God is done. It is a finished work in the past. If you are saved, you are saved. But you do have to deal with this, the rest of this life in living in, in right fellowship with God, in right relationship with God. And that is dealing with your sin. If you don't, you won't grow. You will not grow. So look up on the on the screen and we're going to talk about first John chapter one. First John was written by the Apostle John, the same John that wrote the Gospel of John. And he wrote three letters in the, the, the New Testament here that we have first John, second John and third John. And they are all about fellowship. First John is about fellowship with God. Second John is about fellowship with unbelievers. And third John is about fellowship with those in the church. And so it is about fellowship. And it's almost as if chapter one is this beautiful introduction to fellowship with God. And, and, and we're going to spend more time on point number three than we will the first two. Point number one. Jesus grew, or we're to grow, in a living fellowship with God and other people. We are to grow in a living fellowship with God and other people. Verses 1 through 3. John says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen in our, with our eyes, which we have looked upon and held, and our hands have handled, concerning the word of life, or concerning Jesus. The life, or Jesus' life, was manifested. And we have seen, we bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. So you see here, He is linking Fellowship with, with other people, with his fellowship with God. Look at verse 3. It says, that which we've seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. We want you to have fellowship with us, people to people fellowship. But truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Let me say this, and I want to be really, really clear. If you've got enmity and strife with other believers in the body of Christ, it could be that the issue isn't the problem. The issue is your fellowship with God. It could be, men, if your prayers are hitting the ceiling and they don't feel like they're they're getting through the God and you feel like God is distant, it could be, as 1 Peter says, that you got a problem with your wife. Go read it. Men, the issue that you have with your, your, your prayers are being hindered because you got an issue with your wife. You read it. 
I believe it's chapter 3. Men and women, the issue that you have with other people may not be the real issue at all. Envy and strife and wars, James chapter uh, 4 says, are because we, we want what we want and we don't get it, so we fight for it. There is this sense in which God says it all goes back to the gospel. I want you to lay down your rights. I want you to be able to love sinners. And it starts with your love and your respect for God. Men and women, it is really, really important. You will not grow unless you deal with the sin in our lives. Is the sin of pride, the sin of unforgiveness, the sin of bitterness, the sin of, of, of wanting our own way, the sin of self-centeredness. The, the, listen, we've got to deal with our sin. And, 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 and get this, it is not always that the vantage point is punitive, meaning deal with your sin or else God is going to get you. No, you deal with your sin if you want God's best. So he says, I have these commands, I have these, these, these prescriptions for you, not to, to, to prevent life, but I came that you might have life and might have it more abundantly. I want to provide for you the best. And if you live in sin, you're settling for second best. Lord, I want your best. Well, the Lord won't give me any, any joy. I'm, I'm having happy to, listen, you don't know what joy is. Until you live in right relationship with God. You don't really know what it is. You've got an artificial joy. It's the difference between plastic, artificial pearls and the real thing. Growing in a living fellowship with God and other people. Point number two. Growing in a joyful fellowship with God and other people. Verse 4 says, And these things we write to you that your joy may be made full. God wants us to have joy. This fullness of joy is in another place. John chapter 16, verse 24. He says, Until now you've asked nothing in my name. Ask that you might receive that your joy may be made full. Listen. God is about you having fullness of joy. He wants us to have the best life, not just an ordinary life. He wants us to enjoy life, not just to endure life. He wants life for us to be full, to live with no regrets, to, to, to live as overcomers and victorious. He wants, he doesn't want us to live underneath the circumstances. He wants us to live in joy in spite of the circumstances. Listen, and it's a fight. It's a fight. That's why the key and operative word is, I'm growing in that. Jesus didn't have to deal with sin. Not his own. But he did have to deal with the sins of others. Jesus humbled himself with regard to his parents. Jesus submitted to their authority. Jesus lived his life. He submitted to, to all of the laws that were in the Old Testament. He, submit, he, he lived his life in submission to God as Heavenly Father. And men and women, until we get to the point where we say yes, sir, to Jesus, we won't grow. I don't care how hard it is. It's simply yes, sir, no, sir. The old folks put it this way. Trust and 
Obey. For there's no other way to live happy, joyful, and fulfilled in Jesus but to trust and obey. And obey. Point number three, and this is where we'll camp for a minute. Growing in an honest fellowship with God and other people. What I'd like you to see is that, that, that he gives this foundation for us to aim for. He gives the foundation for us to be like. And it's in verse 5. It says, this is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. God is light. No darkness at all. God is light. God is holy. God is pure. God is blameless. He is righteous. He, he is spotless. He is unstained. He is perfect. And He is without fault. In Him is no darkness at all. In the original language, there is a double negative. They didn't put it in English because if you put it in English, it cancels out one thing and, and, and the other. But in, in the original language, it would say, God ha- is light and no, there is no darkness at all. None. And God says that the prescription is be holy and blameless the same way I am holy and blameless. Yet we live in a culture and we live in a society that it says we can do whatever we want to do. God still loves you. Yeah, he does still love you, but you will not have fellowship with him living in darkness. You won't. I know you don't hear that much because we talk so much about God's love and so much about God's grace. But there are responses in the text that John gives to, 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 to rebut this, this thing. It's almost like God gives John the ability to say, well, I know what you're going to say when I say this, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And the first thing that you're going to say is this. You're going to say, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and don't practice the truth. So the rebuttal is, well, you know, I, I got fellowship with God. I'm okay with God. Yet, walking in darkness is living a lifestyle of darkness. If you're walking in darkness, uh, then you can't say... If you say, well, I'm all right with God, and yet you're still living and riding dirty, you lie, and you're not practicing the truth. You can fool me. You can fool those around you. You can even fool those in your house, but you can't fool God. You can't fool Him. No. If you say, well, I've got fellowship with him and yet you're walking in darkness, you lie and don't practice truth. Look at the next one. And the next one is found in verse 8, not verse 7. It says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Well, I don't have any sin. Pastor, I good. You know, I loves everybody. Well, let me let me let me show you uh, about sin and, and, and you don't have to turn there, but the Ten Commandments are found in two different places. The Ten Commandments are found in Exodus chapter 20 and Deuteronomy chapter 5. Exodus chapter 20 and Deuteronomy chapter 5. Let's go down the list. You shall have no other gods before me. Have you ever put anything before God? 
Mm. We, we stop right there then. Everybody say, yeah. <laughs> Pastor, you ain't got to go through all the ten. That's just overkill. We stopped at number one. Have you ever made for yourself a graven image? Or let's put it this way. Have you ever had anything in your life that was an idol? Number three, have you ever taken the name of the Lord in vain? Four, have you ever gone to bedside Baptist and not come to church? Mattress Methodist, Pillow Presbyterian, at the corner of Box and Spring. No, the command is to remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Remember the Sabbath day. You come to church. Well, have you ever dishonored your parents? You know, given them the side eye, spoken under your breath, told them you were going to do something and obey and you didn't do it. Or overtly disrespected them. Thou shalt not kill. Have you ever murdered anybody? Well, no, I ain't murdered nobody. Well, Jesus says if you call somebody a name, you've already broken that one. Have you ever committed adultery? Well, you know, I, you know. No, that's any type of sexual sin. Have you ever stolen and taken something that didn't belong to you? Have you ever uh, uh, lied or 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 uh, spoken evil words or 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 said things out of your mouth that that were sin? Have you ever coveted something that didn't belong to you? Well, listen, you see how, 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 how this doesn't make sense? If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth isn't with it, isn't in us. Next one, verse 10. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word isn't in us. You see, if you don't deal with your sin, if I don't deal with my sin, I'm a liar and I don't practice the truth. I'm deceiving myself and the truth isn't in me. I'm making him a liar and his word isn't in me. So I've got to deal with my sin. Well, Pastor Mike, you're giving us all the bad news. How do you deal with your sin? I'm glad you asked. Here's how you deal with your sin. Put this down, and it's not in order, okay? It's not in order because I I think theologically and practically they need to be in a different order. And the order is verse verse 9 first and then verse 7. You understand what I'm saying? It's verse 9 first and then verse 7. And and, and there, there are three things I'd like you to see. The main point is that we need to confess our sins. That's the main point. Confess your sin, our sins, and He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we confess, that word confess means to agree with God about my sin. God, I'm wrong. I'm wrong. I'm wrong with, with, with what I've done. I'm wrong with what I didn't do. I'm wrong with what I said. I'm wrong with this attitude that I have. I'm wrong with this habit that I keep on doing. I'm wrong with the way I'm thinking. I'm wrong with the way I'm feeling. I'm wrong with the way I'm doing. And until you're able to say that you are wrong, that you, you hadn't even started to be right and deal with your sin. 
You hadn't even. So the point is to confess our sins. But look at the process. And the process is in verse seven. It says, but if we walk in the light. uh, As he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ. His son cleanses us from all sin. So we confess our sins. But then there is this walking in the light and that walking in the light is repentance. Repentance is saying, Lord, change me. Repentance is like being a baby with a soiled diaper and starts crying. And that parent hears the cry, understands what's wrong, and that parent changes that baby. So God needs to hear our cry of confession. Lord, I'm crying, I'm crying. Lord, and the Lord says, oh, I know what you need. You need a change. I'm going to give you the gift of repentance. And I'm going to change you, but we don't cry. We just stay in our soiled diaper. Everybody else smells it. Mm, You need changing. So the point is to confess our sin, the process, but if we walk. If you live your Christian life in the habit of confessing and repenting of your sins, there's this habit of confession and repentance. You say, but I feel like a hypocrite. No, you're a hypocrite if you sin and then you pretend like you're right. No, Uh, listen, I know I got all kinds of issues just because I don't share them with you. Don't mean doesn't mean I don't share them and doesn't mean I don't deal with them. But I need. Listen, I got to confess my sin to somebody else so I can be healed. I have a Catholic friend and uh, Catholics get a bad rap. And uh, he's a good brother. Love this brother in in the Lord. And we had a moment where we could really, really do some real talk. And I said to him, what about this whole confession thing? Uh, You know, why would you have to go to a man? He says, Pastor Mike, you know, uh, Protestants, they give us a bad rap. We know that the priest didn't God. But what we do know is that the book of James says, confess your sins to one another so that you might be healed. The priest for us is a safe place. To go because we know we got to get it out and we have to confess. And that priest, before we leave that place, will help us have some fruit. He'll say, well, you need to do this for repentance or penance. You need to go and do something to prove that outwardly that there's a change inwardly. I'm not saying go run out and be Catholic. But what I am saying is that those principles need to be true for us. So the point is confession. The process is repentance and walking. And look at the promise. The promise is if you confess our, your sins, he's faithful and just forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sins. There is this sense in which if we confess our sins to one another, we confess our sins to God, we repent of them, we begin to have fellowship with, with, with other folks, and God cleanses us of it. I've experienced it many times 
where I knew that I knew that I knew. I don't know how God deals with you, but God just puts a pit at the bottom of my stomach and he puts a name on that pit and he says, you're not right with them. You need to go and talk to them. You need to make the phone call. You need to make the visit. You need to take the initiative to go and talk with them and make right. I don't want you to talk about what they have done. I want you to talk about your own sin. I want you to talk about your own unrighteousness. I want you to say, hey, doesn't matter what what has happened. I want you to know that I am sorry about what I said, about what I did, about what I didn't do. I'm sorry about my part. And I want you to know that my relationship with you is more important than than, than this issue. A relationship with you is more important than 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 my feelings getting hurt. My my relationship with you is more important than me trying to save face. I love you. I want to be in right relationship with you. And I know it's not going to happen unless I come to you and say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Listen, the Lord is putting some people in your mind right now that you need to go to. And it's not between you and them. It's between you and God. Because when you do that... All of a sudden, your relationship vertically is right. You feel so clean. You feel right before God. You feel, you feel like I'm doing what God wants me to do. You feel like I've done what God has, has required of me. And even if that person doesn't accept your, your, your apology or your olive branch or your reconciliation, you know you have the satisfaction of knowing I've done Everything that I could do. Everything that I could do. Y'all, you say, well, Pastor, it doesn't take all that. I'm telling you, it does. I remember a number of years ago, and someone else gave this illustration as well. I don't know if it was Rib It Up or, or uh, Dreamland or, or Jim and Nick's or, you know, I went to all them places. And at Dreamland, they give you a bib, right? And I didn't want to wear the bib. I'm a man. I'm a man. I don't wear no bibs, right? First bite of that rib. Plop. You try and get some ice water. You try and do all that you can to, to get it out. But guess what? It left a stain. Sin is like a stain, y'all. It's like a stain. There's only, only, only a couple of things that can get that out. Well, with the stain of sin, there's only one thing that will get it out. And that's the blood of Jesus Christ. There's only one thing that can remove that stain. And all of us have that stain. It's like if we have a white wedding dress on and we walk through a coal mine. It doesn't mean that you have to touch stuff. You're going to get the dress dirty. Even if you try your best. It's a stain. And what I'm saying is, if you want to grow like Jesus grew, you've got to deal with the sin that's in our lives. He didn't have to for his own sin. He had to deal with the sin of others and did not sin. He grew in favor with God. 
He grew in favor with men. God wants us to grow in favor with Him. It wasn't that David was perfect, but David was a man after God's own heart. It wasn't that Abraham was perfect, but Abraham was a friend of God. It wasn't that the Old Testament patriarchs were perfect, but they regularly went to God and confessed. They regularly went to God and dealt with their sin. They regularly expressed their total dependence upon God. And God gave them favor. Favor. And sometimes, y'all, that favor is just grace. Because there is this relationship, you don't even deserve it. And God says, well, I'll give you that job that you didn't even apply for. I'll give you that raise that you don't even think you deserve. I'll reconcile your marriage and you didn't even go to say I'm sorry. They came to say I'm sorry to you. you, you listen, grace and favor comes from relationship. So we have to to work on getting our relationship right. Heads bowed, eyes closed.